Today, after a, a couple of weeks break, we return to our study in Acts. And as we do this morning, I want to set back before you the idea that God is training us today in the church of the last days by looking at the church in the first days. Now, I've said that all the way through our study. I believe that is what is happening here. I believe that is what is going on here is we exist as the church in the last days before Jesus is coming. God is training us. He is equipping us. He is shaping us by looking at the church in the first days. And I believe that is exactly what is happening in our study here in the book of Acts. Now, how crazy that God knew that would happen. How crazy that as Luke is recording these events that God knew we would need them today. In fact, that was his plan. Now, I think that's pretty wild. I, I love that fact. He knew we would be looking at these truths today. Well, if that is what is happening, let me ask, and I think we, we need to be very clear, let me ask this morning, do you believe these are the last days? Do you honestly believe it is soon, and I'm, I'm talking about so very soon, for Jesus is coming and his rapture of the church? Do you believe the sands of time are, are rolling through the hourglass and very shortly the Father is going to say to the Son, go get your church? Do you believe that today? Do you honestly believe that? Well, if you do this morning, then you are going to need a certain perspective. We are going to need a certain perspective in order for us to endure, in order for us to accomplish what God has for us to do in these days. And so listen, if you actually believe these are the last days, you're going to need a certain perspective, and you're going to need to hold that perspective in order to accomplish what it is God has for us to accomplish. In fact, we will likely not accomplish what God has for us to do in these days apart from holding, apart from understanding this perspective. Today our message is entitled, The Proper Perspectives of a Profitable Church. The Proper Perspectives of a Profitable Church. Now, uh, today we enter the 12th chapter of Acts. There is a 19-verse account there, and we are actually going to cover those all of those 19 verses next week. But today we're going to see our perspectives. We're going to gain our perspectives from just the first three verses. And so today we're in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. God's word says this, Acts chapter 12, beginning in the first verse. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Let me read those three verses again. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And he saw that it when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. 
Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm, I'm thankful, first of all, for you. I, I praise you. I worship you. Lord, our, our heart today is to glorify you. Lord, we're thankful for your grace and your kindness and your mercy and your power all demonstrated to us, all given to us in the person of your son, Jesus. Lord, today we lift up high the name of Jesus. We worship our Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for your word today, and I pray as we, as we study your word today, as we, as we enter into this 12th chapter, I pray that, that you would speak to us today, that you would remove any hindrance from our hearing, and I pray that we would be shaped today. I pray as we exist, I believe in the short days before you come again, that we would leave with these perspectives held inside of our minds and our hearts, our souls. Lord, I pray if there's one in here that does not know you in this room, I pray that today in the preaching of the gospel, the drawing of your spirit, today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you. We worship you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we begin back in our study, remember the context, uh, a very quick flyby. Uh, understand, so far in Acts, the church has been given a commission by Christ himself. Now, I, I want to be sure and remind us as we move through our study, we also have the same commission. So he commissions the church, and today we as the church have the same commission as well. Well, Right after that, the church is also empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, a, a marvelous thing. Uh, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want to remind us, we have the same empowerment today as well. And so as we study this, we have the same commission that they have. We have the same empowerment that they have as well. In the account here in Acts, the church has been faithful to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. And the good news has gone out there in Jerusalem. There is a Savior, the Messiah, who has come as the remedy for sin, the Savior for sinners. And the gospel is preached in Jerusalem. Well, then due to persecution that breaks out, the, the, the gospel is preached outside of Jerusalem. And we read that account as well. The, the gospel is pushed outside of Jerusalem. The church expands outside of Jerusalem. Well, in the immediate context... The gospel has gone to the city of Antioch. And we read there, we read in our, in our previous study, that a great movement of God has occurred in the city of Antioch. Hearing the gospel, hearing the preaching, the faithful preaching of the gospel, people are being saved. And that's the formula that we see all the way through the book of Acts, where the gospel is faithfully preached, people respond to the gospel. Well, there is a movement of God going on there in Antioch. Then chapter 12 starts, and it begins now about that time. And so here we are in the continuation of events, in the progression of events. And so the account continues now about that time. All right, let's begin with our verses this morning. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church 
in order to mistreat them. Now, understand, Herod is Herod Agrippa or Agrippa I. He is the grandson of King Herod the Great. Herod Agrippa, King Herod here, he was part Jewish. However, he was raised and educated in Rome. And so he has this really this dual background. He is found here with this position as a regional king. It's really the same area that his granddad served over. And so he is found as a regional king. Well, understand, to stay in power, to keep his position, he needed to keep the favor of Rome. Rome had to be happy with him. Rome had to be happy with how he oversaw the territory, how the taxes came in. So he has to keep the favor of Rome. Well, to keep the favor of Rome, he needed the support of the Jews. So, so that Rome would be happy, he needed the compliance and the support of the Jews. If the Jews were happy, if the Jews were in line, Rome would be pleased with him. Well, we see in these verses today, he has figured out to please the Jews in order to keep the allegiance of the Jews he can persecute believers. He can persecute Christians. And the Jewish folks will be happy. He wants their allegiance. He wants their loyalty. Well, he buys that. He finds that as he persecutes the Christian church. Now, the verse says, laying hands on some of them in order to mistreat them. Now, I want us to be sure and understand what this is talking about. In order to mistreat them. The Greek word for mistreat is to harm, now here's a greater understanding, or to inflict misery on them. He, he, he seeks to hurt them, to cause them grief, to cause them pain, and to inflict great misery that they would exist in a state of misery. He seeks to inflict that on believers. So King Herod sees that Rome is happy when the Jews are in line, and he sees to keep the Jews in line. He can inflict misery on believers. Now, that brings us to our first perspective today that we must hold in the church today. Now, listen, if we are actually in the last days, and I truly believe that we are, we need to understand, we need to hold these perspectives. Well, here's the very first perspective that we need to hold today in the church. And that is this. Listen very carefully. The world is opposed to the cause of Christ. Be sure of that. Be certain of that. The world is opposed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Friends, the, the church today better not be fooled. The church today better be certain. The, the teaching of Scripture is the world is opposed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, what does that mean today? What does that mean for us today? What it means is today we had better get used to the fact, we had better understand the fact that the world cannot stand us. The world cannot tolerate us. The world has no use for us. We need to be sure today the world is not a friend. The world is not an ally. And I want to tell you, the world is not even a neutral observer. The world seeks the silence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore seeks the destruction of the church of Jesus Christ. 
The world is not an ally of the church. We live in a goofy day, I can tell you that. And today there is a movement, and man, it's everywhere, to build churches that the world can approve. And I'll, I'll just tell you, if you find a, a church that the world's excited about, the world's approving, you better have a flag go up. We're, we're seeking to build churches that the world values, that the world esteems, that the world would brag on. Folks, I want to tell you today, the only way to do that is to surrender the word of God as the truth. The only way to do that is to compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ as the hope. And the only way to do that is to build churches that look like the world that we exist in. Do you see that happening today? Do you see that all around us today? Churches today Take up every cause. Oh, we'll take up every cause and every mission that comes along. We'll do all these good things. They take up every cause but the cause of Jesus Christ. Churches today, they preach any message and you can go and you can listen to this message and that message and this message and they'll preach any message to fill up an auditorium but they will not preach the word of God. Churches today, you go in there, you can't tell them from the world around us. They act like the world around us. The message is the message of the world around us. The truth is this. The world is opposed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Listen, we better, get, we better understand that. We better get used to that. Hey, the world's not for us. The world's not going to tip their hat at us. They're not even neutral to us. The world is opposed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to be sure to hear me here. We are burdened for the lost world, greatly so. We do sacrifice to preach the gospel to the lost world. That's the mission of the church. Yes, we'll suffer and we'll sacrifice to carry the gospel to the lost world. However, we cannot do it from churches that look like the lost world that we exist in. First perspective we must hold today, the world is opposed to the cause of of Christ. All right, let me read verses two and three together. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. It had been about eight years since the death of Stephen, the call of Saul, of Paul, and the Jews, having heard of their Messiah, in fact, many of them having seen their Messiah, the Jews having heard of the resurrected Savior Jesus, in fact, some of them having seen the resurrected Savior Jesus, they still reject him. They, they, they still reject him even to the point that it pleases them to kill his followers. Here's, here's what I can't get, and it, this, just, this just drives me crazy. Why? Why? I, I think about that, and I wonder, what would, it, what would it take? What would it take more than the fulfillment of Scripture right before your eyes? Think of all the Scriptures that have been opened and, and fulfilled right there before their eyes. More than the resurrection of Jesus? What more would it take than that? 
more than the continual preaching of the good news of, of the gospel, more than lives being changed, more than the confirmation of all these miracles. What is wrong with these people? What would it take for them to find and to accept Jesus as their Savior? In our verses, we see the second perspective that we must be certain of as believers in the last day. And I want to just go ahead and tell you right now, we need to be sure of this. And we need to settle this. If we are ever to endure in these the last days, if we are ever to fulfill our purpose in these the last days, we need to be very clear of this. And here it is. The cost is high to live for Christ. Be certain of that. The cost is high to live for Christ. That is the second perspective. Now, let me just tell you, I, I was going to preach all 19 verses this morning. And I got to this third verse, this second verse, and this third verse, and it just hit me. It, it just struck me. Now, I'm going to preach through the rest of these verses next week, but I, I was going to preach on the imprisonment of Peter. I was going to preach on the, the miraculous release of Peter. There's a good message there, but it just struck me. This is too big of a deal. This is too needed of a message. You see, the church today I do not think is ready for this. And that's what I believe. And I, I passed through these verses and I, it just hit me. You know what? The church today is not ready for this. In fact, I'll just tell you, most churches today go and listen to the messages. They are taught that once you put your faith in Christ, it gets easy from here. Most churches today, and you go listen to the message, they are taught that once you put your faith in Christ, then you're going to find your best life now then you're going to find it's all about you. Then you're actually going to be taught that every day is Friday. Many churches today teach that following Jesus brings the absence of trouble, and people are pouring in there to hear that. Many churches today are saying, you know what, if you'll follow Jesus, there's going to be the absence of suffering. And the false teachers today in the church are filling our eyes and our ears and our hearts with the lie that we'll not suffer if we'll just trust Jesus Christ. That is how they're drawing a crowd. Oh, you don't have to suffer if you'll just follow Jesus Christ. Friends, be ready. The cost is high to live for Christ. Look here. Verse 2. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Luke makes this very clear. It's high cost to follow Jesus. Death with a sword. Most likely, and I, and I truly believe this, most likely, he is beheaded. He's not stabbed. He's not run through the sword. That sounds better somehow. But most likely his head is chopped off with the sword. His head is lobbed off with the sword. And you hear that and you say, well, why? Why would that happen? Is he a criminal? Is he, is he some worthless fellow? No, it's because he followed Jesus. I don't understand that. For following Jesus, his head is chopped off. Now I want to go slow right here. And I want you to notice this. Who died by the sword? Who had his head chopped off? Listen very carefully. 
James, the brother of John. I want you to stay with me. James, the brother of John. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Just listen. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Listen to this. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Two brothers. Their dad is Zebedee. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus gave these brothers a nickname, the sons of thunder. They were brash. They were bold. We read that James and John, brothers, leave their nets as brothers to follow the Lord Jesus. Brothers, leave their father, drop their nets, and follow the Lord Jesus. I've got a brother. I've got a brother. I'm raising brothers. In a lot of ways, brothers are different from each other. We know that. A lot of ways, they're the same. And I can tell you, and you'll know it's true, nobody can fight like brothers. And I want to tell you, nobody can love like brothers as well. No one can be there as, as a brother can be there. And you think about those little guys as they start off and they play together. They get tired and they lay down and they take naps together. They get a little bit older and they, they laugh together. And they get a little bit older and they begin to compete with one another. There's always a competition going on. But at the same time, nobody will mess with my brother. And you can count on your brother. I think it's pretty interesting here. For such a hard calling, Jesus actually calls three sets of brothers. Did you know that? Twelve disciples, actually three sets of them are brothers. Eleven, twelve years since these brothers had followed Jesus. That's how long it had been at this place. Can you imagine all the things that they had walked through, all the good things that they had walked through, all the, the hard and frightening things that they had walked through. And, and I imagine as I think about those days how sometimes their eyes had to look at each other. And can you imagine when they're starting to realize this is actually Christ, this is actually the Messiah, can you imagine when their eyes match each other and they see some great miracle and they're astounded and everybody's watching, but can you imagine as their eyes look at each other or they hear the profound teaching of Jesus and they know this is not normal, but this is one that teaches us with authority. And can you imagine as he's teaching, as they look around, they might look and their eyes glance at each other. You imagine at the crucifixion. They maybe try to look down or try to look away, but it, at some point their eyes catch each other. Can you imagine when it was a resurrected Savior and they, and they come and they see it's Jesus and he's alive, he's alive again. And can you imagine in all the joy they have to hug each other and their eyes catch each other. They're brothers, brothers. And he had James, the brother of John, 
put to death with the sword. Oh, I'm sorry, James. Oh, but I'm sorry, John. That was your brother. That was your brother. Folks, in these days, we had better be sure the cost is high to follow Jesus. And listen, it's not without a warning. Jesus tells us that. Peter tells us that. Paul warns us of that. Today, Luke warns us of that. Today, our pulpits need to warn us of that. It is a high cost to follow Jesus. We have to be ready for that. Cost is high to follow Jesus. I wonder about John. The first apostle to die was his brother. Years later, he'd be the last. Did you know that? Years later, he'd be the last apostle to die. He, he goes on from here and he preaches. He goes on from this point and he's a pastor of a church. He leads the great church there in Ephesus and people are saved in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he sees tremendous things in, in the movement of God. But I wonder for this Pastor John, how often does he think about his brother? How often does he talk about his brother? How can he not tell the story of a savior and not talk about the commitment of his brothers? His head was cut off. He died with a sword. How often does he talk about his brother? How often does he think about his brother? And that brings the third perspective, listen very carefully, that we need to have in these days. The third perspective that we have to have set and cement in these, the last days. We'll not make it if we're missing this perspective. This is what we need to hold as believers today. It was the perspective that James had. It was the perspective that we're gonna see next week that Peter had. Surely it was the perspective that John had as well. The world is opposed to the cause of Christ. The cost is high to live for Christ. The third perspective is this, and we need to be sure of this. Listen carefully. There is no greater reward than to commit fully to Christ. Now, boy, I want you to hear this, and I want us to be sure of this. I want us to walk out of here today, and I want us to know, yes, the cost is high. Yes, the world's going to be opposed to us, and yes, the cost is high, but I want you to be sure as we sit, as we walk out of here today, there is no greater reward than to commit, truly commit to Jesus Christ, follow with me. John, the beloved apostle, goes on. And he stands and he leads and he proclaims and he endures and he exalts. And all the while he holds up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on and on he goes. He is faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful. And as an old man, this apostle John, is found on a prison island. He's a prisoner. About 30 miles away, they say you can see his old church. You can see there at Ephesus. You can long for the brotherhood that's going on there. He's on this prison island of Patmos. He's an old man and he's been faithful. And it's been a long time since his brother's been gone. And there on this prison island, he receives a revelation from God. Our book of Revelation, listen very carefully. 
And this revelation, it shows him of a victory. Tells him of a great victory, the defeat of Satan. The, the, the doom of his demons, they're cast into a lake of fire. It's told to him there in this revelation. There in this revelation, it shows him that all things are made new. Can you imagine as his heart rejoices, the lifting of the curse, the curse is lifted. What was wrong in sin, what was right in sin is made right in Jesus. All things are made new. He's shown there in this vision, there's a new heaven and a new earth. For the former have passed away. He sees the glory of a new heaven and a new earth. More than that, he sees the glory of the king. He sees the glory of the lamb. It tells of his majesty. It tells of his splendor. It tells there's a river of the water of life that flows. It tells of the tree of life and eternal bloom and its, its leaves are for the healing of the nations. It shows him the new Jerusalem, the city of God where he tabernacles amongst men. He will be in their presence. It tells him of this city of God, the streets of gold, clear as glass, it says. This, this, this vision tells him of the gates of pearl that you'll enter and the number of the gates. As he gets there, he sees that it's not like the old Jerusalem. There's something different. There's no temple there. But it says the Lord God and the Lamb, they are the temple. He sees the walls to that great city, the pride of the walls of the great city. In fact, he's told to measure the walls. Get your rod and measure the walls. And he looks and he sees the foundational stones of that wall. And he looks and as he sees, he sees there are 12 of them. And as he's looking at this great scene, he sees the, the 12 stones, the foundation for the wall. And as he looks... He sees there are names on those stones. And as he looks at the names, there's one that stands out. Oh, all of them he knew, all of them he knew, all of them he loved, all of them he cherished, all of them he remembered as he could run his hands down the names of those stones. All of them he knew, but there's one that stands out. The playmate of his childhood the friend of his youth, the one who dropped the net with him there in the boat with his father Zebedee. There's one that stands out. He sees the name. James, son of Zebedee, brother of John, his brother. Our God is not unjust as to forget. He says that. Our God, he remembered this brother. Luke chapter 18, verse 29, it says that Jesus told the disciples, and truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much. And at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Listen to me, dear friend. There is no greater reward than to commit totally to the cause of Jesus Christ. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by the nail-pierced hand. There is no greater reward than to commit to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. And I'm thankful for your word that leads us, that teaches us. Lord, I'm thankful for your word that, 
that prepares and shapes us. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we exist in the days, I believe very shortly that you will come back and that those that do not know you, they will perish outside of a relationship with you. They'll be, they'll be stuck in their sin. They'll, they'll perish as they are even now. Lord, I pray that we will be diligent. I pray, Lord, that we will be faithful. Lord, I pray that we will be committed as were these brothers. Lord, help us, empower us, lead us, use us. Lord, I, I pray right now for, for somebody in this room that may not know you. And I pray that today they have seen the God that remembers, the God that knows, the God that rewards, not of any work of man, but it's impressed by faith. Lord, I pray that someone that doesn't know you here today would receive you by faith. Lord, I'm thankful for the example of these brothers. I pray that we would be as faithful. I pray that you would be glorified in us. We tell you today we love you, we worship you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.